I want to talk about something really special to my heart, as you can imagine. I want to talk about New Spring Church. And for me, this is going, I'm going on 28 years as leader here, and I've watched God do extraordinary things. But I want to talk about something. And for those of you who are guests, um, and maybe this is your first time to be here, please, uh, we'd love to have you be part of the consideration of these questions. Because the question that I want to ask is what makes New Spring Church New Spring Church? Or why is New Spring the way it is? And the reason why I, I give this to you is every week of my life, if, if not almost every day, I'm going to get a call from some church in some part of the country, and they've heard our story even though we try to fly below the radar screen, and, and people will say, well, what's, what's your secret? What is it that makes New Spring Church New Spring Church? And I struggle to come up with an answer because it's almost, it almost defies analysis. But it is it's a great question. No, no, no church in the history of Wichita has ever experienced growth like New Spring Church. Beyond that, no church in the history of Kansas has ever experienced growth like New Spring Church. And, and that's, that's amazing. Uh, and what's amazing about that is that we don't have any growth strategy. We don't have any outreach strategy. We've just grown for one reason, and that's because you guys have gone out and told your friends and family, you've got to come to my church. I need to warn you before you go, that's really crazy, but you need to come to my church, and, and that's why we've grown. And so why do you do that? Why, why is it that, you know, I grew up in a very traditional church. I was part of traditional churches, and oftentimes the ministers had to like harangue the people to say, invite people to church. I never have to say it because you guys just do it organically. And why do you do that? Why do you feel so comfortable going to your friends and family and saying, you've got to come to my church? I mean, I, I, I discovered this. I had, I'd actually sent out an email blast late Friday night, and, and um, it was kind of late for me to send it out. But uh, I hear so many stories about New Spring from you when I run into you at the mall or, you know, some sporting event or something. And you guys will come up to me and say, hey, Mark, is it okay if I talk to you for a moment? And of course, it always is. I'm, I'm delighted. I meet more people outside of New Spring or New Springers than I do inside. But, you know, you guys will want to tell me your story. And a lot of times your story will go something like this. I never thought I'd ever have a relationship with God. I never did like church. never thought I'd be part of a church. But I love New Spring. I'm a radical New Springer. And, and I hear so many of your stories like that. So I just said in my email blast, do any of you have an email story you'd like to share with me? And, man, it was an avalanche. And for all of you who wrote me, Thank you so much. And for those of you who worry that your story is too long, please don't worry about that at all. That's like having too much ice cream. It's impossible. So uh, I never get tired of hearing how God changed people's lives. So don't worry if it's three pages long. It just makes my day. And I've enjoyed reading the stories. And so many of the stories go along like that. I never thought I could ever have a relationship with God. But I came to New Spring and I found that just as, uh, just as we were led in song by Luis, his grace has found us just as we are. And we're not trying to put on, we're not trying to pretend or anything. We just want a real relationship with God. And so, so many of you, you know, who never thought you would ever have a relationship with a church are radical about your church. In fact, one lady came to New Spring two or three years ago, and she said, I've lived in the city 30 years, I've, and she'd rented to New Spring, as you know how we are. And she said, I've never met people before who were radical about a church. She said, I just wanted to come to a church people were radical about. So, you know, why is that? Why do people volunteer? This weekend, and just as any weekend at New Spring, Hundreds of volunteers will volunteer and serve. Our goal at New Spring, if you're a New Springer, is to get you to worship one, serve one. And we have four services. Our hope is that you will worship in one and then volunteer in one. A lot of you worship in one and volunteer in three. I mean, it's just extraordinary, the volunteer DNA. I can't, so many times I get to hear things I wish you could hear. People will tell me, you know, I, I'd never been to church before, but when I drove onto the property, I could feel something. When I walked into the concourse, I could feel something. Do you know what you feel? You feel the spirit of hundreds of people who are freely giving up their time to serve. There's something about serving that just brings an aroma of sweetness to a place. And I think that's one of the cool things about New Spring. For our size, a church of, you know, 
somewhere between five and 6,000 in attendance. It's just remarkable that we have such a small staff. You know why we have a small staff? Because hundreds of people give of their time and make this church such an extraordinary place. And, you know, on a weekend like this, by the way, I do need to let you know this is a low weekend. This is typically one of the lowest weekends of the year in attendance. And that concerns me <laughs> because school starts this week, and this is the last weekend before school starts, and a lot of people take last-minute vacations. So next week we could be in some real trouble. We have grown throughout the summer, which is kind of unusual for a church, but we've grown throughout the summer. So those of you who are radical new springers, if you could shift to Saturday night and you, you might open up a place for somebody else. But if you can't, don't worry about it. Please come. We'll, figure, we'll, we'll get you in here somehow. But I just want you to know, this is an extraordinary place for volunteering. My, 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 my greatest memory is this Christmas Eve, this last Christmas Eve. We had between 7,500 and 8,000 people here. In fact, what was really sad to me was we were so jam-packed. There were hundreds of people who couldn't get into the campus. And unfortunately, they just came in and drove away. But we had services on the 23rd and almost all day on Christmas Eve. And a lot of you, you didn't just volunteer one service. You volunteered every single service because I saw you here. You were here pretty much throughout the 23rd, all day the 24th, exhausted. Lord knows I was exhausted. And I ran into a lot of you after the last service. And here's what many of you said to me. Do we have to go home now? Do we have to go home now? This is Christmas for me. And, and I think you'd have been here if we'd had four more services. What, why, what is it about New Spring? Because I'm just going to be real honest with you. I'm going to shoot straight with you. you you're going to find churches with far better communicators. You're going to find churches that have better facilities. I mean, we don't do a lot of programs here. We only do about five things and try to do it well. We're more apt to cut a program than add a program. And you can find churches with a lot better programs, a lot better organization. You know, you could find churches that on paper do things so much better than New Spring does. What is it about New Spring? I had a great friend. He's been coming here about a year or two, and, and um, I got, I've gotten to know him. We've actually prayed a little bit about some things that are going on uh, with health and mem with members of his family, and, and uh, we've been praying for a member of his family. And at the end of the last service, he came by my office, and he said, I can't talk to you. And we were talking for a minute about one of the members of his family we've been praying for. But this guy's a radical New Spring. He loves New Spring. And, um, and just a great guy. But after he got through talking about this family member, he started sharing with me what New Spring Church meant to him. Here's what he said. He said, this church saved my life. Because he said, it was at this church that I prayed to receive Christ as my Savior. He said, before I had religion, now I have a relationship with Christ. And he said, this church saved my life. And he went on to just tell with joy on his face about what New Spring meant to him. But then he said something to me. I knew the series that I was into. As far as I was concerned, he gave me the perfect introduction for this series. Because this is what I was trying to say. He said... You know, I wasn't the first one in my family to come to New Spring. He said, my wife and my family came here first. And he said, they came home and tried to invite me to New Spring. And I said, no, I'm not interested. But he said, the one thing I noticed is that every time my family came home from church, they were happy. And he said, I came because I wanted to find out what's making them happy. And he came. He's never left. He accepted Christ. Now he's a radical New Spring. See, that's the question I want to ask about New Spring. And that's what I love so much about us. I mean, guys, you have to understand, I've been in a church all my life. I've served four churches. I've, I've spoken at hundreds of churches. I've done conferences all over the nation in all kinds of churches. So I, I've, I've been in all kinds of great churches. But I have to be honest with you, there is something unique and something signature about New Spring. What is it that makes us such a happy people? 
Well, I'm, you guys know I've been honest with you through the years. I'm not the most spiritual person in the world. I love God with all my heart, and I believe the Bible, but I'm not a real warm, fuzzy, spiritual person. I struggle with that side of things. So when I tell you this, you need to understand this doesn't happen to me all the time, but I woke up in the middle of the night several months ago, and it was as if God gave me the answer because I keep trying to explain it to churches what God has done here, and I, I never can find words. And when it was like I woke up and instantly this answer was on my mind, and it wasn't original. These terms have been used before. I don't know if they've ever been used together in a sequence or in a chain, but it was like God woke me up and said, this is what makes New Spring New Spring. And the reason why that was God's instantly I argued with him. I said, God, that's cheesy. Never tell God something's cheesy if he tells you something. But really, I did. I woke up and I said, that, that's cheesy. Instantly, it was like the Holy Spirit just brought back this avalanche of verses to confirm every one of these things. And I said, okay, I'll listen. See, I think a lot of times we want a complex answer. That's what the ministries want when they call me. They want to find out what our formula is. They want a complex answer. And it was as if God just gave me the simple answer about what New Springers are. And it's as simple as this. And I'm going to talk about the first part of it today and the second part next weekend. New Springers are new people living new lives. And today's a new day. We're not religious. We're new people. And now we're in the process of living a new life, but we fail at it from time to time. But today's a new day, and God's mercies are new. Today I want to talk about New Springers are new people. By the way, we do have shirts. We're almost sold out today. We've got another order coming in, but that's what we've got. New Springers are new people living a new life, and it's a new day. Today I want to talk about New Springers are new people. If you haven't fallen in love with this verse yet, you need to. It needs to be a very important verse in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, here's what it says. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a, let's, let me back up again because I want you to say it with me. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a, say it loud, new person. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. New springers are new people. Now let me just, you guys know I have a problem with religion. Let me tell you what my problem with religion is. There's a great deal of difference between religion and a real relationship, vibrant living relationship with Jesus Christ, and here it is. The best that religion can offer, you ready for this? The best that religion can offer is to improve you. Religion, a lot of people seek religion because something is wrong in their lives and they're not happy and they're saying, well, I'm going to try religion in the hopes that religion will improve their situation. Now, very quickly, I want to stipulate that there's nothing wrong with things that can improve us. I like things that can improve us. For instance, education can improve you. Most of us are grateful for the educations that we receive. It has improved our life. Psychology, if it's right, can improve you. Medical care can improve your life. Technology can improve us, I think. Jury's still out on that one. And on and on down the list, there's a whole sequence of things that can improve your life, and I'll be the first to admit it can. And religion can improve your life. And every once in a while, somebody will ask me, isn't it true that there's some good in religions in this context? In other words, in a temporary sense with defined parameters, yeah, I think there's some good in all religions. I think you could join just about any religion. You can find some things that are basically helpful and that if you employ those tenets, it will improve aspects of your life. But that is not what following Christ offers because it doesn't say anyone who belongs to Christ has become a better person. See, that's the reason why a lot of people have issue with churches and religion is because people who are part of religion think they're better and there are people out there in the world who say, well, I'm just as good as they are. But that's not where the debate is being held. It's not over who's better. The question is, who's new? Because anyone who is in Christ 
is a new person. Now, some of you love antiques, and I'm about to offend you, and I don't want to. And you need to understand, I'm envious of your knowledge. I wish I had it. I'm just backward, so please have pity on me. But I love new things. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you could take the swankiest antique shop on Fifth Avenue in New York, and you just put a sign over it that says, use furniture. I mean, that is just how I... And I'm sorry, I know, some of you really like antiques and stuff, and please forgive me, I'm just backward. Have pity. I like new things. I like new cars. I like the smell of a new car. I like the spring parade of homes, the fall parade of homes. I just like walking into a new house. I'm not interested in the house. I love my house. But I'll go in the house and just smell the new wood and smell the new surfaces and, and look at them and touch them, and it's just great. I love new houses. I like new clothes. Don't you like new clothes? That's the item you're shopping for, and you get it, and you bring it home. It's got the tags attached. There's always that moment when you're getting ready to wear it for the first time. Clip the tags, put it on. Hey, guys, don't look at me like that. You're that way too. <laughs> I like new clothes. I like new things. I mean, and who doesn't like walking past the window in the hospital of, of newborns and looking through the window and seeing them? Honestly, guys, I like new things. See, see, new, think with me for a moment, because think about this in the context of what we just read. New means fresh. New means never been used. New means it hasn't been damaged. New means no possibilities have been lost. And that's what it means to be in Christ. Fresh, never used, hasn't been damaged. No possibilities have been lost. Man, that's what makes, that's what makes a relationship with Jesus infinitely superior to the underperformance of religion. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Now, I'm going to try to explain something that's way over my head. There's nothing that can embarrass anybody so quickly in front of thousands of people to try to explain something that's over your head. So I shouldn't even try this, but I'm going to give it a crack, okay? It is God's nature to make everything new because anything that God touches must, by definition, be new. Because with God, there is no time. God created time to help us measure. And see, here's the problem. All we know is time. Time is tied to aging and decay. So since all we know is time, we tend to interpret God through the, through the context of time. For instance, people will ask me, well, who made God? And we, we assume, see, here's the thing. We assume that beginnings and endings are the norms and that infinity is the aberration, but it's just the opposite. I infinity is the norm, and time and beginnings and endings are the aberration. So here's the thing. Since God does not deal in time, which brings with it decay and age, by definition, anything that God touches must be new. And here's what the verse says. It says, anyone who is in Christ has become a new person, and it means continually new. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to buy a new car, and then three years later it's still brand new? I mean, here's what we're going to talk about next week. Let me give it away. Act like you haven't heard this one. I'll tell you this next week. But, I mean, wouldn't it be something to just get an old junker, and all of a sudden as you drive it, it starts getting new, the carpet starts getting fresh, and door handles start popping back up and things like that? And when I say that next week, you just laugh like that too. It's like, we've never heard that before. I mean, this is the thing. When God makes something new, it's always 
new. I mean, look at what he says about heaven. And again, sorry for those of you who like antiques. In Revelation 21, verse 5, he says, look, I am making everything new. One of the cool things about heaven is things will always be new. All God deals with is new. Now, with that in mind, if being in Jesus makes you new, what were we before he touched us? Or if you haven't yet experienced Jesus, where are you today? Well, what's the opposite of new? I think about two words in my mind that I would think of and consider the opposite of new. One is used. Now, I know that for those of you who are in the car industry, we have euphemisms for it today, but back in the day when I was a kid growing up, you go in a car lot, you have new cars, you have used cars. New and used. Or another antonym for new would be old. And isn't it true that life has a way of making us used and old before our time? I can't help but think of a story of a woman that Jesus encountered. This is in John chapter 4. And by the way, it is this chapter, and in a moment we'll see the actual verse. It's this story that our church gets its name from. Jesus told his disciples, we have to go through Samaria. Now, just so that you will understand this, just get a picture of this in your mind. Um, he was going his way to Galilee. And so if you want to see this mentally in your mind, it would be like they were in Judea, which would be Texas. That's the promised land. And <laughs> and they needed to go to Kansas. And Jesus said, sorry, guys, we have to go through Oklahoma. So I... Uh, <laughs> I'll read the email, and I will, I will take the criticism, I promise. <laughs> now, in our case, there's nothing wrong with Oklahoma, but in Jesus' situation, Samaria was the place you did not want to go to. I was reading the book of Hosea yesterday, and I realized that Samaria had been wicked for years, and Samaria had, a, they had, a, they had an interesting thing going on. I mean, these people were like the most immoral people in the world, but they were really good at covering up. The guys, you know, would, they would go sleep with temple prostitutes on, on, on Friday night, and then on, you know, on the Sabbath they would go to worship God. You know, I mean, it's like they were, they were totally immoral, and the women would sneak off and have affairs and so on and so forth. So this was Samaria, but everybody was really good about covering it up. But there was one poor gal who was not able to cover it up. And Jesus said to his disciples, I have to go to Samaria. And they're thinking, what in the world is we, do, we, do we go to Samaria for? Because a lot of good, self-respecting Jewish people would go around, go the long way just to avoid Samaria. They didn't want their feet to be defiled. But Jesus said, there's a, I, there's a reason why I need to go. And the reason why I need to go is there was a woman there. And you could be here today and you say, Mark, I, I, I thought before I came into church, I thought the ceiling might fall in on me. I'm not sure I believe in God. My life is messed up 12 different ways, and I'm just wondering how God feels about me. Let me tell you something. God would do anything to touch you. God would do anything. He would go to any length. He would go to any expense to reach out to you. And Jesus knew that he was going to encounter a woman there in Samaria at a well outside the city of Sychar. And this woman... Was so had such a bad reputation in the city that she would not go get water in the early morning when the other women would go because she could hear them gossiping about her. She, would, she knew the looks that she was going to get. See, what had happened to her was she married a guy 
And then I don't know if it's her fault or his fault. I don't know. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us, but something went wrong with that marriage. And so she tried again and married another guy, but something went wrong. And, and then she tried again and married a third guy, and then something went wrong there, and there was another divorce. And then she married a fourth guy, and then something went wrong. And she, you know, that marriage ended in five guys. And then finally, Jesus knew she was sleeping with a man who wouldn't even give her his name. He was just using her. He just wanted her for sex. And she stayed with him because it meant food. And so on this day, I mean, here is a woman who has been used and used and used and used. God only knows how many times she's been used. And God only knows how old she feels. I always imagine in my mind she's 30, but maybe she's not. Maybe she's 25. Maybe she's 20. Maybe she's 40. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know this. Here is a woman who thinks her life is over. And in the middle of the day, she's going out to the well to get water. And Jesus has made a trip to Samaria just to see her. And I want you to listen to these awesome verses in John chapter 4. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. That's a euphemism for what we saw in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Jesus was saying, I know you feel used and I know you feel old, but if you would just ask me, I would give you a life and I would let you start over again. And then he went on to explain, and this is the verse our church gets its name from. He said, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling new spring with them, giving them eternal life. Jesus made the trip for her, and he said, I know you're used, I know you're old, but don't worry about that. I can give you a new life. Now, there's an interesting thing that happens. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right after it says that we become new people, it says the old life is gone. You know, God never misses a word. And when he wrote this story in John chapter 4, there's just this one little expression that I've always loved. It says, and she's in a hurry to go back and tell the rest of town how awesome Jesus is and what he can do for them. It says, she left her water pot. In other words, the old, that represented the old life. She had been interested in water, but now she had something that was so far superior to that. She said, I, 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 what I came for, I'm not concerned about anymore. How many of us have had a real relationship with Jesus Christ? And at one time, we were interested in, in money. We were interested in accolades. We were interested in, in, in getting the you know, fame and fortune of the world. But we've left that water pot because we found something so much better. Now... I need your help for a few moments because I guess if you wished, you could look at this part of the message and say, it's boring. I don't know. You may think the other part's boring. But this part, because we're going to get a little technical here, and we need to. Uh, we just need to shake ourselves by the shoulder. Because let me tell you something, guys. Please, 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 please. We are brought up to think if we're pretty good, we're going to heaven. If we're really bad, we're going to hell. Could I tell you something? You are only what God declares you to be. You are not what you think you are. You're not what people tell you you are. You're not what religion says you are. You are only what God declares you to be. And that's a really deep concept. I mean, it's not, you don't have to be deep to get it, but it's, it's just a deep concept. Because see, here's the thing. When the Bible talks about the old life being gone, it doesn't mean just old habits. It's talking about so much more. And let me just walk you through very quickly. I mean, the first thing that it's talking about is old systems are gone. See, here is the thing. You and I were born into a system. 
a system that had performance goals and punishments for not making those performance goals. And it, had a, it was a system that had punishments already attached to it. How many of you have experienced this in different situations? You took a job and you found out there's a system that goes with that job. You didn't have any vote. It's just you discovered there's a system. It's freaky. It's quirky. But you got a system and you got expectations and and, and there are punishments, and there's, you know, whatever. It's part of a system. How many of you married into families, and you discovered there's a system in that family? I don't know if you figured this out, but there are whole families that are nuts. I mean, just... <laughs> You're thinking, Lord, I thought I was marrying this guy, and I found out I married the Adams family, you know? <laughs> there's a system. I didn't vote for it, but I'm in it. Well, this is the thing that the whole human race is in. See, we're in a system. We were born in a system. This is so big because if we get this, we just never will understand the Bible, really. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, committed treason against God. God put them in a perfect situation, gave them a perfect environment, basically gave them one rule, and he said, don't break the rule. And the thing about it, Satan came along and said, Satan, Satan said, look, God is trying to screw you over, but if you will just go with me, I will give you everything that you want. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, they committed treason against God, and they signed on with Satan. And instantly, they came under his judgment, under his system. Let me read this to you in the Bible, because every once in a while somebody will say to me, Mark, I don't really know about that Genesis Adam and Eve stuff. I don't know if there really was a real Adam. Is it really important? Yeah, it's about this important. If there wasn't a real Adam and Eve, I would take my Bible and throw it straight in the trash can. Because here's the thing. The Bible contrasts Adam with Jesus Christ. It says, in Adam we all fell, in Christ we're all made alive. Well, if it's fictitious Adam, it might be fictitious Christ. Let's read. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so sin spread to everyone. Notice how quick we get from Adam to everyone. When Adam's sin, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Now, next verse. The, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. So, think about that. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. It spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Now, verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So see, when God talks about all things being gone, it talks about this system that you and I were born in, this crazy system. We were born to Adam and Eve's judgment. My favorite verse, and I told a story about high school last night. Let me tell you another story, and I'm kind of embarrassed to tell the story. But it helps me explain this verse. Um, when I was in sixth grade, elementary school went through sixth grades, and then we went to junior high school. And by the sixth grade, I'd taken a lot of standardized tests. But uh, we took the main standardized test. I think it was the Iowa test of basic skills back in those days. And then all of a sudden, toward the end of the year, we wound up taking another standardized test. It's the first time I'd ever done that. But I'm a voracious reader, and I love to read. And so I had this book that I was really interested in reading. And I remember our teacher said this. She said, Finish the test. When you get through, if you get through before the timing, the time ends, you can read a book. Well, that's what I want to do is read a book. So you know what I did? Shame to admit this. Kids, please don't listen. Just put your fingers over your ears. 
I just filled in. I just filled in the, the holes at random. I took those tests in about two minutes. Read my book. So what I, what I didn't understand, these were placement tests. And the junior high school I was going to was a very big junior high school. And they had, like, regular classes, and then they had remedial classes for the kids that were here behind. And they had honors classes for kids that were a little bit ahead. And they had advanced or accelerated classes for kids that were a year ahead. So you got to understand, I'm, I'm pretty much a student, and I took this test at random. And all of a sudden, I get to junior high school, and I find myself in these very slow classes. About a week into this, all my teachers got together and went to the principal's office and said, we don't know how this happened, but we have a kid in here who probably doesn't belong in here. And I can still remember the day that they came and got me and took me from all these remedial classes all the way to accelerated classes. Now, here is the thing. You must understand that when you pray to receive Jesus Christ, that Jesus came and got you, and your attendance card that was part of the kingdom of darkness, and he took you over and enrolled you into the kingdom of light. Read this with me, Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. What's the kingdom of darkness? It's the old system that we, we, we were born into. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. How big is that? Well, the old system is I sin, I pay. But in the new system, I sinned. But he changes the system. How changed is the system? Let me read you out of Colossians chapter 2, some special verses. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins. In other words, when you were born into the old system, God made you alive with Christ. He didn't improve you. He made you alive, new person. He, and here's, here's what he did. He forgave all our sins. And then this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Colossians 2.14 is my life verse. Having canceled the written code with its regulations, that was against us and that stood opposed to us. How many of us have read the Bible and think, there's no way I can live up to that? Me? Listen, if I want to feel guilt and condemnation, all I have to do is look at all the things that God commands me to do. Because so many things God tells me to do, I don't do. So many things God tells me not to do, I do. So I could look at the code that stands against me, the indictments that could be hanging out there. And if I were part of the old system where I sin, I pay, then, then I could read the Bible and read all those codes and those indictments and think, wow, am I ever in trouble? But the Bible said he came along and he transferred me out of that system and he put me in a new system. And, and when he put me in the new system, he forgave all of my sins and, and, and he canceled the indictments, the code, God's perfect indictment. He canceled it. Now, sensitive area. Every once in a while, you know, I'll get this... Uh, from people who talk and look at New Spring in a message that we talk about how God loves us and he receives us as we are. And they'll say, well, I don't know about that cheap grace. Well, by the way, grace is free. If you got it cheap, you paid too much. But see, here's the problem. There are people that think, wow, this is too easy. In other words, there's got to be something that we have to do, which, by the way, is cosmically destructive, the idea that there's anything that we can do to affect our salvation. 
But there are people that say, well, you guys are preaching something that's too easy, that it's just something that God does for us. But see, here's the problem with people who think like that. They don't put a semicolon there. They put a period. They, they, they read, having canceled the written code, this regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, stopped it right there. Or maybe they'll put a comma there and put, he swept it under the rug. But that isn't what Jesus did. Do you understand what was essential for him to cancel the code of indictment that stood against us? He had to nail it to his cross. What does that mean? I know you may have heard me explain this before, but let me do it one more time. You see, when somebody died, the death of crucifixion, it was such an awful death that pastor, I mean, sometimes it took people days to die. That pastors by would see people hanging on a cross, and they wonder, what did this poor person do? And the Roman government wanted something to do to show that they had a reason for this horrific death that they were inflicting on someone. So what the Roman government came up with is that they would nail a little placard up above the person's head that had the person's crying. He was dying. This guy's dying for rape. This guy's dying for treason. This guy's dying for murder. So a person understood that's why he's up there on the cross. And the Romans did something else. They, they believed in justice to the extent that when a person was dead, when they certified that he was dead, they would pull the placard off the cross so that everybody would know the price for rape had been paid, the price for murder had been paid, the price for treason had been paid. Do you remember this whole argument about what should be nailed over Jesus' cross? Pilate didn't know what to put on there, so he called him the king of the Jews. And the Jews came along and said, don't call him the king of the Jews. Say, put something up there. He said I was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, get out of here. What I've written, I've written. But the way God looked at it, you know what was on Jesus' cross? Now listen to me. The indictment for everything you and I have ever done wrong. Every sin, every stinking attitude, every disgraceful act, Every shameful thought, the indictment for those sins, a bill, if you will, was nailed to Jesus' cross. And what did Jesus say before he gave up his life? He said, it's finished, which means that in the mind of the Father, that bill was pulled off of the cross, and there is no indictment against you if you're in Christ. There's no indictment against me. Do I deserve it? Yes, but there's no indictment. Because, see, he didn't, he didn't sweep it under the rug. He took it away and he nailed it to his cross. In other words, he paid for it. You can see why that's my favorite verse in the Bible. i got to hurry. i got four minutes to finish this message. Oh, goodness. I need another hour. Actually, I have one, but it's another service. <laughs> Old destinies are passed away. Guys, let me tell you something. Hell exists. There is a hell. And people tell me every once in a while, well, I think hell's on earth. No. Best, worst day you have on earth is bearing the best day in hell. Hell does exist. And it wasn't some wild-eyed prophet who invented it. Jesus told us more about hell than anybody else. He talked about it repeatedly. In fact, he talks about a man in hell. It says, in hell where he was in torment, he looked up, saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus. Look at this. Dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But here's what you should know. Hell was not made for people. See, what happened was when our first parents chose to side with Satan, they wound up not only with his system, but they wound up with his destiny. I mean, when Jesus talked about hell, he called it this. He called it the eternal fire. Look at these words. Prepared for the devil and his demons. Hell wasn't prepared for people. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I think hell is too awful to even think about. Let me tell you what's too awful to think about is what Jesus, the price Jesus paid to keep us out of there. That's what's too awful to think about. 
You say, well, I, I just think it's unkind that God would let people go to hell. Read something with me, please. Second Peter 3. A lot of people wonder why Jesus hasn't come back, and the idea is that, well, maybe he's just slow. And Peter has said, the Lord's not slow keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. In other words, he's wanting people to be saved. Look at this. Not wanting anyone to perish, that means go to hell, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, read this with me, please. How many people does God want in hell? Not anyone. Do you see that? Not anyone. If you go to hell, you'll go to hell over God's wishes. Not anyone. I mean, he put his son on a cross to keep you out of there. Not anyone. How many people does God want in heaven? Everyone. Man, that's why New Spring is a crazy church. The other day, we had, Meryl and I had breakfast. A breakfast place here in Wichita. And walked in. A group of guys about my age sitting at a table. And one of them said to me, aren't you Mark Hoover, pastor at New Springs? Did I see you on television? And I said, yeah. So I went over and talked and made small talk with him, talked a little bit about New Spring. And after that, I left. I think I had to go back and fill up my drink. And, but Mary also could hear these guys talking. And really, they, they began to make fun of me. I don't, do you know, not everybody's crazy about New Spring Church. Did you know that? <laughs> Puzzlement to me. There are people that think, you know, who are these? Who do these new springers think they are? You know? They got police at two intersections, takes 30 minutes to get out of their property. And they do all this weird thing, put a hippie van on stage and kids whirl. And as I walked away, Marianne could hear them making fun of me. And here's how they made fun of me. They said, that's that Mark Hoover looking for a soul to save. Well, I can't save anybody, but let me tell you what, I plead guilty. I am not playing church here. I mean, you may have been in some religion where a little wimpy guy stood on stage and, and played games, but I'm not playing games. I'm dead serious. This is real business. I mean, there are destinies out there, and all of us are going to spend eternity someplace, and I would do anything to keep somebody out of hell. I'll, I'll admit to that. You make fun of me if you want to, but I'm serious about this. God does not want anybody in hell. And we're desperately serious about it at New Spring. That is why we go to great, we would do anything. We do any crazy thing. I mean, because after all, who are we in comparison to what God did? The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. We were condemned already. But to save the world. If God would send his son into the world to pay the ultimate price to keep us out of the place where God doesn't want us, why shouldn't we? Old things, the old systems passed away. The Bible says there's therefore now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then real quickly this, and I'm in overtime. How did I get here? Old guilt and sins are gone. Psalm 103, verse 12, he has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Tech team, I'm so sorry. I got to skip. I don't know how I got in this much trouble. Let's skip all the way to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where we started. Let me read the whole text to you. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. I'll talk about this part next week. The new life has begun. And look at this line. I've loved this line all the years I've been preaching. And all of this is a gift from God. Not some of it, not part of it, all of it. There's nothing you can bring. God has invited you to a banquet with the best of everything. Don't try to bring him a still. Uh, Tupperware with stale pork and beans. 
Man, just come to the banquet. See, you can't bring anything. You'd insult the king. Anyone who belongs to Christ become a new person. The old's gone. New life has become. All this is a gift from God who has brought us back to himself. See, here's the thing. The problem is we were separated from God. God loves us, but we're sinners. We want to get to God and have everything that God wants for us, but we can't get to God because we're sinners. So how do we get to God? The bridge, the bridge was Jesus Christ. He came. He was God, so he could reach out and touch God, and he could reach out with the other hand because he was human, and he could touch us, and by his death on the cross, he could bring us together and reconcile us. Like the little girl whose parents were separated, who was dying with cancer, and she was holding parents who wouldn't holding the hands of parents who wouldn't speak to each other, and 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 one parent held one hand, the other parent held the other hand, and the last thing she did before she lost consciousness was she pulled their hands together until their hands touched. That is what Jesus did for us. We cannot get to God. We're separated because of our sin. And God loves us, but he's a holy God, and he cannot touch us. But by his death on the cross, Jesus reached out and took hold of both of our hands, and he brought us together so that our hands could touch God. And if anybody is in Christ, that person is a new person. No wonder Psalm 40, verse 3 says, he's given us a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Thank you for letting me go into overtime. But I can't leave without saying this. Are you a new person? I'm not asking you, are you religious? You could be very improved. But have you ever become new? Has the old system ever left you? If it hasn't, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to reach out by faith. And you can pray with me. These aren't magic words, but if you mean these with your heart, there's an ever-loving God on the other side who wants to touch you. And all you have to do is ask. It's all of him. It's, you don't have to bring anything. Just bring an open heart that believes. Pray with me, please. Dear Jesus. I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for me. I believe your blood paid for my sins, and I believe you arose from the grave. And today, I ask you for the gift of eternal life. Make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a DVD and a book that I wrote that answers a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. Please stop by and get it. You can stop by guest services out there, or there's a little one back by the coffee shop. Guys, thank you so much for being here next week. I'll give you the second part of this message. God bless. We'll see you soon. Luis.